Quick warning that we swear just a weeny, tiny bit in this episode. Previously in impeachment. The testimony in Washington had all started to point in one direction. If someone wants something, you have to get something in return. Yeah. It's like a sort of like a like a quid. What is it? Quid pro quo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We now have Sondland. We have Taylor. We have Giuliani. We have Mulvaney. All saying there was a quid pro quo. But with the evidence piling up, Republicans wanted to fight about something else. If you can't win on the facts, fight about the process. And it's clearly this is just an attempt to say it's unfair, it's unfair. And you're like, what is unfair? Like, where is the injustice here? Dahlia Lithwick, Jim Newell, welcome back. Hi. Hey. Hey. (laughs) It's like the most muted response. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) We've we've toggled from despair to exhaustion. Yes. Yes. Don't you feel like this is the week that it turned? It's the week that something shifted, and I, I'm not quite sure what it is. But now I think it's the week. No, Jim, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the week that you can no longer keep track of the names? Well, as long as we keep those like Rudy associates, like Lev, what's his name, and the other guy out. As long Igor. as we don't go down that road, like then I'm fine. If we go down there, I have a surprisingly good handle on it right now, which is not going to last for much longer. That's why we're here okay. every week. All right. Because you know what? <laughs> if we're having this trouble. Our listeners are like, seriously, dude, Okay, <laughs> what what is happening? Okay, let's start with testimony. I want to get to the vote, but let's start with testimony. Because I feel like this week, the person who sort of broke out and broke new ground was the National Security Council Ukraine expert Alexander Vindman. He's actually Ukrainian. Dahlia, can you give me a little bit of a bio here? Uh, I think he is a decorated war hero, right? He took, he took, uh, literally took a bullet for the United States. He was born in Ukraine. He emigrated here with his parents as a child. He really did earn a Purple Heart uh, in Iraq. He's in a Ken Burns documentary. He's in a Ken Burns documentary. He is, I think, if you look in the dictionary under patriot or what Americans aspire to be, uh, he would be there. And I think the thing that was so important about his testimony is that we've heard a lot about this July 25th call. We have this sort of quote-unquote transcript with a lot of dot, dot, dots in it. But he was on that call. He wasn't just on that call, but he is fluent in Ukrainian and also fluent in Russian and also works in the White House. So he really knew what was happening and could testify. That that whole that whole criticism that the White House has rolled out that all this is all secondary knowledge and no one was really there, that kind of falls apart with someone like Vinman. I think that when when I think about the metaphor of what changes this week, it's it's like one of those Renaissance paintings where they paint over and paint over, you know, layers and layers of paint. And the thing that I keep thinking is it's fascinating that the White House is obsessed with the whistleblower because all the subsequent testimony has not just shored up what the whistleblower initially alleged, but is actually there are people now in the room. So if the whistleblower was one or two steps removed, now you have people corroborating it. And it's amazing how uncanny the story doesn't change. The story is 
unbelievably consistent. You have witness after witness just layering over what we originally heard. And I think that Vindman is the apogee of that, right? If that's how you pronounce that word. He is, Vindman is the high water mark of this. I was actually in the room. I was actually concerned. Uh, Everything that the whistleblower said now can go away because we now have firsthand testimony. And what's interesting is that the White House continues to double down on the whistleblower. Mm. Uh, The argument is, well, that was illegitimate. So everything that comes after is illegitimate. It's interesting because you've talked a lot on the show about how the Trump administration is trying to make this into a criminal proceeding. And the argument you're laying out here is kind of the fruit of the poison tree We argument. heard that. We heard the fruit of the poisonous tree coming from Republican supporters. Which is a criminal argument. Right. I mean, there is this doctrine. I was thinking that this morning, Mary, that there is this doctrine, right? If the police do an illegal search of your glove box and they find the drugs, that's called uh, the fruit of the poisonous tree. And you can now try to have that uh, not be admitted at trial. This is not a criminal trial. It doesn't matter. This is not a Fourth Amendment proposition. This is not, uh, uh, there is nothing illegal about what the whistleblower did. So the implication where they're trying to reverse engineer this to say the whistleblower is akin to an illegal police search of my glove box and then everything that stems from that is illegitimate, not only is it sort of bad law and order, but it's also not true because what the whistleblower did initially was perfectly lawful. And I do think it's a little bit of this, um, you know, you've got a grab bag of legal words. And so you just keep saying hearsay, even though hearsay has nothing to do with this. You just keep saying fruit of the poisonous tree, even though that has nothing to do with this. And I think that the idea is to just kind of razzle dazzle the public into being confused and thinking, therefore, as the White House is now saying, this entire impeachment is unconstitutional. But witnesses just keep coming forward. People like Alexander Vindman. And this week, you saw conservatives attacking not just the process of impeachment, but the people testifying, too. This is, I think, just goes to your point, Mary, of things have turned even before he testifies. So this is a little different from Taylor. This is a little different from Sondland. We have a smear campaign that Mm. right out the shoot, Laura Ingram, John Yu is calling him, you know, like like a treasonous John Yu, spy. Deep yeah. Cuts. Well, John Yu, torture memos. John Yu is implying that he's working for Ukraine, that he's got dual loyalties, that he's not really got American interests in, at heart. I think you're right. In that sense, it was a turn. It was just a straight on. We are going to suggest that he is a spy working for foreign entities. And his testimony was significant enough that you had Chuck Schumer suggesting maybe this guy needs a little bit of protection. Jim, I'm I'm a little curious to turn to you because I think Dolly is right that the right-wing media machine really got fired up this week. But we did see some Republicans coming out and defending Vindman, people like Liz Cheney, who's pretty conservative. What does that tell you as a political watcher of of how these proceedings are going? To be honest, uh, in a lot of the talk about the smearing of Vindman, the examples are John Yu on Laura Ingram's show. There's Sean Duffy on CNN. Sean Duffy recently resigned from Congress and the whole building got a little bit more intelligent. And then there's a... <laughs> Sean Duffy, former real world contestant yeah, yeah. and congressman, yes. And there was one more. I, I really didn't see any beyond that in, in their defense a little bit. And every Republican I talked to on the Hill 
you know, said they don't agree with questioning his patriotism necessarily, or I, I didn't hear, you know, I didn't survey everyone, but I didn't hear a whole lot of talk about dual, dual loyalty. I think they got the idea that there were some on TV who were saying this, and most I talked to said, no, I would never question his patriotism. I just think he he misheard or he's wrong, which is maybe a little patronizing in its own way, but I, I think they, they stomped that out pretty quickly. Does that mean that there's some hope for bipartisanship here? If we can agree that this guy is a patriot and, uh, you know, his testimony seemed valid, can we agree on other things? I mean, if there's any hope for bipartisanship, it's not materializing at all right now. I mean, I think this week was actually a little bit of a setback for Democrats who hope that they can convince Republicans to come over and, quote unquote, do the right thing just because we had a vote this week where they got zero Republican support, the vote to open the impeachment inquiry. When we get back from the break, the impeachment inquiry vote and the week ahead. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So let's talk about that vote. Were you on the floor to watch it? Uh, yeah, I was in the gallery watching it. So set the scene a little bit. What what was this like? Was it dramatic? I was trying to find drama wherever I could. I, I had spent the whole week sort of looking for a Republican who might be interested in voting for this. And in the end, couldn't find any. Um, you know, on the floor, the stage was set a little bit and that you had Nancy Pelosi actually presiding over the vote, which she which is only rare. does. Yeah, it's only an extremely historic moment. Uh, you had the floor was pretty full for the debate ahead of time when usually there's only like three or four people required to be there who are on the floor listening to the debate. But, uh, you know, the whole gallery was packed. It was just, you know, the vote didn't really have a, a lot of interesting dynamics to it in terms of, of the way it broke down. It was just all Republicans, you know, voted against it. Two Democrats voted with the Republicans voting against it, and they were two of the more conservative Democrats. And, you know, the work remains to be done, I guess, to see if there's going to be any sort of consensus built on this. Yeah, everyone really seemed to be in their corners. You had Nancy Pelosi with the American flag behind her talking about the duty to the Constitution. And then you had someone like Steve Scalise talking about this is how they do things in Russia with secret procedures. Oh, yeah. He had a wonderful poster. He had, it said, 37 days of Soviet-style impeachment inquiry. And there was, the you know, the classic mistake of wanting to have a picture of the Kremlin, but you actually have a picture of St. Basil's Cathedral, which is just outside the Kremlin and is a very lovely building. But yeah, so they're going with this whole, you know, this is Stalin right here. Um, one detail that stood out to me was when I opened up the newspaper this morning, someone had written about similar votes that happened with the Clinton impeachment process. And 31 Democrats voted with the Republicans back then. And it just says something that I could not imagine that happening today. 
I thought we were pretty divided back then, but it, reading that, I was like, wow, we, we have come a long way, baby. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the similar vote in the Nixon impeachment, I think it got over 400 votes. That's like you everyone. Know, yeah, that's it's more or less everyone. And I guess, you know, there was just a little more trust, even even during the Clinton impeachment, there was like a little bit more trust between the two parties that you could almost work together on this to get to the bottom of this a little bit more. And it's not that way at all now. I mean, Democrats in this resolution for this impeachment, you know, they have opportunities for Republicans to call witnesses or subpoena, but it's all subject to committee votes. And there's pretty much the opportunity for Democrats to stamp out any sort of bad faith directions Republicans want in there. And Republicans are taking that as saying, look, we have no real actual power here. But that's just because what are Democrats going to do? They know that if you give Jim Jordan unlimited ability to call witnesses, you know, he's going to call uh, Peter Strzok or, or Lisa Page or whatever and take it in this whole different direction. So it's just sort of it almost seems unbridgeable, the idea of finding a, a consensus way to get to the bottom of this allegations because one really does not want to get to the bottom of these allegations. Yeah. I mean, last week we talked about how the Republicans were complaining so much about process that had that sort of sit in in the Capitol where they'd protested that they weren't able to listen to the testimony. And what was interesting was that with this vote, it was an attempt to create process. And yet still the Republicans seemed unsatisfied and they were still upset that they have to, in their words, go kind of crawling to Adam Schiff to be involved. Well, Adam Schiff is the investigator. You know, I mean, it's his committee that has jurisdiction. It is once they're done with these depositions and some public hearings, it will go to the Judiciary Committee, which has original jurisdiction over this. But, I mean, obviously, whoever is in charge of the investigating is going to have a lot of power to investigate. And since they don't want the investigation to be accepted by the public, of course, they're going to go after Adam Schiff and say he has too much power. Or as the RNC called him after the vote, they they congratulate him on his coronation as the witch hunt king. So it's just... <laughs> Which is someone said on Twitter, that's very metal, you know. That's a pretty cool name. You should go around saying that. One other thing that I just noticed that um, our friends at at Just Security posted uh, last night, Neil Eggleston, who was White House counsel over Obama, um, noticed in the resolution that the House adopted this really clever provision that essentially— Did you see that, Jim? It's great. Somebody stuck this in, and I think nobody but Neil Eggleston noticed it. But the provision says, should the president unlawfully refuse to make witnesses available for testimony to or produce documents requested by the committees in furtherance of the investigation, the chair has the discretion to— impose appropriate remedies, including by denying requests by the president or his counsel to call or question witnesses. So they stuck this kind of poison pill in saying, if you are going to not provide documents, not provide witnesses, then the president doesn't get to then swan in and participate in the proceedings. So all the complaints about Adam Schiff isn't letting the president participate in this process, he can now go back and say, well, the rules say that since you are obstructing me, you don't get to participate. You can't come in and question witnesses. You cannot come in and make demands on your terms if you have not allowed us, uh, not made witnesses and documents available to us. So it was a pretty smart, I don't want to call it, I shouldn't call it a poison pill, but it was a pretty smart 
deft little move to say the president can't both suck and blow here. <laughs> he can't, you know, make claims about nobody, nobody to be provided, nobody uh, to cooperate. And also, but I want to come in there and question your witnesses. <laughs> so one of the other things that came out of this vote was that the Intelligence Committee has assigned itself some homework. They're going to write a report on everything they've heard, sort of like a congressional version of the Star Report, maybe. You know, Dahlia, if there's one thing that the Mueller report sort of taught us, it's that these reports don't necessarily break through <laughs> to the public, even though that's what they're meant to do. They're meant to be a presentation of facts and, you know, here's here's what we found and please read this. I looked at this, the idea of a report coming out, and I was like, wow, I really hope you've hired like John Grisham to write it or something. Do you have any, having watched a few of these play out, I wonder how you think about how the Intelligence Committee could approach this that would get more people invested in what they're doing. I, I think the the lesson of Watergate is this is going to rise and fall not on huge 500-page published reports. It is going to rise and fall on public testimony. And uh, we're already hearing Adam Schiff say they're going to start to release uh, transcripts of testimony they've taken. They're going to have to call Bill Taylor back. They're going to have to call Son uh, Sonman and uh, Vindman. Is that it? Where they're going to have to call. Uh, see, I can't do it. They're going to have to call uh, 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 Gordon Sondland. Gordon Sondland, and they're going to have to call uh, Vindman, and they're going to have to do this again. And then they're going to have to hope that America watches. And I think one of the reasons this is so complicated, in addition to the fact, you know, you make the good point. The goalposts have moved. All summer Republicans are saying, say you're doing an impeachment inquiry. Then Nancy Pelosi said that. Then they said, take a vote. Then we did a vote. Then they have a procedure. Now they're saying the procedure is unconstitutional. So it's back to the fruit of the poisonous tree, right? Like you're never going to get the Republicans in the House or the Senate or the White House to sign off and say, ah, now this process is fair. So now what you're going to have to do, I think, is some kind of public theater that is an educative move the needle enterprise with the understanding that in Watergate, everybody watched. Hmm. Uh, everybody's not going to watch this. And in fact, Laura Ingram is going to be on her show every night saying all these people are traitors and they are not patriots and nothing to see here. And so the question isn't whether there's a report that's going to be a game changer. In my view, I'm not sure there's going to be explosive public testimony that's going to be a game changer because we are not going to have America sitting around watching ABC, you know, all day long to get Watergate-style information from which you can draw your own inferences. And I think I, I think that we live in two realities now, and the idea that we're going to knit together our realities either, you know, by way of a joint report or uh, agreed-upon rules of process or an agreed-upon narrative about what would be the line that the president crossed that is too far, I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Well, Jim, how are the Democrats thinking about how they structure these hearings to have the best shot at reaching the most people? Because as Dahlia said, you know, different people are going to believe different things and be told different things. So how are they strategizing here? I don't think they've even come to any decisions or they don't even know how many hearings they're going to have. I mean, there's only one that's required within the actual bill that they just passed. So I, I imagine they're going to try to structure it around the most damning stuff. Then I imagine Republicans in response will find something that they think mitigates all of that damage, and then 
they'll try to call that witness or something like that. And then Adam Schiff will have to decide whether to allow them to do that or not, which, you know, there are going to be some decisions here about whether you throw Republicans a few crumbs to make sure that it's an involved process where you could have some sort of bipartisan buy-in, even if you worry that if you allow them to bring someone else in, it could become a bit of a show trial and sort of ruin any chance for consensus. But, you know, I, I, I think one question here is, has the stuff that's most capable of shifting public opinion come out already, or is it still going to happen? I mean, has what we've learned from, say, the Vinman testimony, the Taylor testimony, sort of corroborating the story at the core of this, that there was a hold on security assistance in response for Trump wanting Ukraine to investigate Burisma or to search for whatever server he's imagining in his mind. You know, is that out there and is that sort of baked into polling already? Or is there some sort of way that it can be presented in in the trial that really, uh, I don't know, helps people see the light in a way? And I, I could really see it being argued either way. So, so this is why it's essential that whatever happens next with John Bolton uh, happen quickly. John Bolton left the White House just a few weeks ago. He was the national security advisor. And as you may or may not remember, over the last several weeks, many people who've testified in front of Congress have begun to link him to the Ukrainian episode. Witnesses have said Bolton was concerned about the president's intentions, tried to distance himself from it all. So the Intelligence Committee has asked him to comment on that. They've scheduled Bolton to testify next week. He says he's only going to show up if he's subpoenaed. If he does make an appearance, Bolton could be the kind of witness that snaps the public back into focus, maybe even makes this case turn for people who, right now, are unconvinced. I think what he does and says will be absolutely essential because I think nobody is going to call him part of, you know, the never Trump movement. Nobody's going to say this is a deep state actor who somehow was completely enthralled to Donald Trump for years and years while plotting his overthrow. Uh, So I think it's fair to say Bolton will be a game changer. And also, I think we're super focused on what's happening in the Capitol. But let's remember courthouses in D.C. this week trying to figure out what to do with with uh, Charles Kupperman, uh, who's this aide to John Bolton, who has asked a the White courts, House official has asked the courts to decide whether he uh, has to testify. Basically, and, coming to them, I've got a constitutional crisis. Yeah, Could you help me out? Saying you figure out, you know, whether these claims of immunity, these claims of unbelievable absolute immunity, is what the White House is saying for everybody. Right? He's in the courts in D.C. saying you all figure it out. So unless those people can be rolled into this and forced to sit and answer questions. And I think you're right. It becomes, well, that was an interesting little Ukraine scandal. We enjoyed that in September. Uh, We've moved on. Sorry about all that damning testimony, but no quid pro quo. And we move on. So I think that that's the tipping point. Well, you mentioned that it might be, sorry if I'm mischaracterizing it, but that it might be a little bit difficult for someone to question, you know, John Bolton's conservative loyalties or anything like that. I think John Bolton would be smeared instantly. I mean, even when he got fired by Trump a couple weeks ago, there was a long um, Tucker Carlson monologue that sort of inexplicitly said that John Bolton was a man of the left, you know, and and he had to be gotten rid of. Um, and I, I wonder, if you look at John Bolton, he's someone who has been part and parcel of the conservative movement and conservative Republican official Washington, you know, for his entire career. So if he comes and he testifies, 
he's an enemy of that. I mean, that's how he'll be remembered. He's he's the one who played a large part in taking down the Republican president, even if it's a Republican president that a lot of official Washington, you know, has never been quite easy with. But I, I think for someone who is so the conservative movement is him. He is the conservative movement. I bet he has a lot of angst about what would happen to his legacy and also maybe his career a little bit if he became this sort of fatal witness in the impeachment of Donald Trump. Although, on the other hand, I think he was quite mad about how things turned out with his with his tenure at, national, at the National Security Council. And supposedly, you know, people know him a little bit well, says he's going to want to tell his story. So he's just going to have to choose. I don't think he's been subpoenaed yet. I He's been asked to come and that they would try to do the little, you know, subpoena the morning of trick. But again, you know, both he and Kupperman have the same lawyer who's arguing this case that they have constitutional immunity, which I don't, is that a legal term, Dolly? I, 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 it's, it's very much like fruit of the poisonous tree. You know, I think they open Black's Law Dictionary and pick a page and then they just start asserting things from, you know, oh, page 427 has a I thing. mean, it sounds very powerful when you put the words together. Constitutional immunity. I, 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 think like, I wish I had yeah, that. Yeah, you know? no, they're saying some kind of blanket privilege. It's very weird. Um, but I will connect one thing that Jim's saying to something that I think is interesting, which is this fear of Donald Trump, the fear of the wrath of the base and the wrath of Donald Trump and the wrath of Tucker Carlson, which is just a hilarious mental construct, like the wrath of Tucker Carlson. Yeah, I don't know how you're fearing a loud guy in a yeah, bow tie. A guy but in it's a bow tie okay. shaking his fist. But um, I think that that part and parcel of that is the fact that Donald Trump is promising uh, to give campaign money to Republicans in the Senate, right, who side with him. I mean, this is just a straight up Richard Painter, who was the White House ethics uh, czar in the George W. Bush administration, just wrote this piece just saying this is felony bribery, right? Like the president cannot condition like I'm going to have my fundraising machinery support or kill your reelection campaign in the Senate. Senate conditioned on your supporting me in an impeachment trial. But I do think it's not just, you know, what Jim's describing, which is fear of reputational interests, fear of future employment, fear of going down uh, on, on the wrong side of Donald Trump. But it's also, I think, there's actual money, a huge operational money that's being thrown around that is terrifying, I imagine, to a Republican who needs that machinery, that kind of of election cash in order to get reelected. And I think in some ways, you know, so much of this goes back to the cardinal sins of, of money and politics. But some of the fear here, at least on the part of Republican senators who absolutely live or die by Trump supporting their financially supporting their reelection campaigns is also a massive part of this. Jim, Dahlia, I am forever grateful for your patience and uh, deep knowledge. Thank you. I've forgotten Jim's name. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, can, I, can no, I can no longer comment. I don't know. What, who, who, who is this Jim of who we speak? Jim Newell is Slate's Man on the Hill. Dahlia Lithwick covers the courts. And that is our show. If you are loving these impeachment episodes, let us know. You can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. The show is produced by Jason DeLeon, Mary Wilson, Mara Silvers, and Danielle Hewitt. I'm Mary Harris, and we will be back in your earbuds next week. All right, Mary's blowing her nose. 
Jim, do you have any mucus you'd like to contribute? <laughs> no, I, I'm a little nauseous now, but yeah. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.